You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. Hey, I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the show, we're going to review the Stanley Cup Final, who we are cheering for and what's been going on the last couple of weeks. We're also going to take a look at the offseason for the Winnipeg Jets. Where do they go from here? They've got a lot of stuff going on right now. Kyle, it's been a long time since we last podcast. When was the last time we actually posted one up? Do you even remember? You know, it's so long ago, I actually have no idea. I think it's about a month and a half uh, since. I think it was the week after the Jets got eliminated. Uh, we kind of did a kind of a wrap-up, and since then, we pretty much, uh, we've pretty we been pretty quiet. Yeah, we were initially hoping to do a podcast after every round and keep it going through the playoffs, but uh, life's been busy. What have you been up to lately? Yeah, so uh, um, being an accountant um, by nature... The April-May season is always really busy, um, so it's been a lot of work, um, that sort of thing. Uh, soccer started up for me. I play in a summer soccer league. Just a lot of other things kind of going on um, to keep me busy in, in the spring months. Yeah, and basically the same thing for me as well with work. Uh, as some of you may know, I am the, the play-by-play voice for the Portage Terriers, and so with the playoffs, you're calling games basically every other day, and the Terriers made it all the way to the national championship again this year, so that took me into May, and then we actually had another uh, child, so our family is continuing to grow, and so then that kept me out of work for a couple of weeks, and so... Now, finally, work's slowing down. Everything's kind of just slowing down, ready to get podcasting back again for the Jets. But with all this busyness going on, have you had a chance to watch any of the Cup Final or the playoffs? Yeah, it's interesting. I I always find it difficult to watch once the Jets are eliminated. I'm sure many fans can resonate with that. Uh, But it was was fun sitting down, even in the Stanley Cup Final. I didn't get to see every game, uh, but just watching it here and there, it's still a big event just in hockey, right? It's the biggest one of the year. So even if your team is not in it, you still kind of want to see what happens. And specifically for for Jets fans, seeing St. Louis in the finals kind of gives that added, maybe you're cheering for them because they beat Winnipeg, or maybe you're cheering against them because they beat Winnipeg. Either way, it was kind of a little bit more interest given the situation because it was um, just like last year, Vegas beating the Jets. This year, St. Louis beating the Jets, making it to the final. So which way were you cheering for? I personally was cheering against St. Louis. Uh, just being a division rival and everything, losing to them, I did not want to see them win. I took the same stance against uh, like Vegas last year. I did not want Vegas to win at all because they eliminated Winnipeg. Maybe you just call me a, a sore loser or a salty fan. Maybe that's true, but that's what was my mentality is I can't cheer for the team that eliminated me out of the playoffs. See, I have that too, to a degree, but because we were so far removed, it was way back in the first round a couple of months ago, I was cheering for the Blues, and it mainly has to do with my dislike for Boston. I've never been a fan of the Bruins. I was a huge Canucks fan when they beat them in 2011, uh, so I've been very disappointed and have been very much against the Bruins. I do not like Brad Marchand. I've got a couple of Bruins fans, like we mentioned already on the podcast, here at work who are constantly on the Bruins. I just cannot cheer for Boston. I will literally cheer for anybody else. And so I was all in on uh, the Blues, so I was pretty happy that they won. Chris Thorburn raising the cup, and he actually got to lift it pretty early. I don't know what what to think. And, and obviously, as a fan, you see the team... And you think, oh, it should automatically go to Jordan Biddington. That should be one of his first passes. But no, it goes to Jay Bomeister with how many games he's played and the veteran. And I understand that. And then it goes to Chris Thorburn as well, really quickly. He wasn't even in the game. 
Well, <laughs> you say that it's is interesting because I understand the Bowmeister aspect um, being just his longevity in the game. Chris Thorburn, he's kind of bounced around. Uh, a few, I mean, he was with Winnipeg, Atlanta for for a number of years. Um, pretty much his whole career, essentially, going to St. Louis. I remember his first game coming back as a St. Louis Blue to the Winnipeg Jets. I was at that game in Winnipeg. They had a nice little tribute to him. Um, so Winnipeg Jets fans know Thorburn well, love him, but they understand he's not really – he's not a guy you're handing the cup off to in the first three or four passes. He's a guy that's going to be touching it near the end, in my opinion. Like you said, he didn't even really play. Did he really do anything for them? at all lately. I, I mean, he played a little bit last year, not as much this year, so it's just kind of a, a curious move, but given his longevity in the game, he has been around a while, that veteran leadership in the room it as just, well. We always heard about that in Winnipeg, so maybe that's why. It just shows how players on the team value each other based on how fans and based on how the media value players. Because... We always forget that these guys have personalities, that these guys have lives outside of the ice surface. And Chris Thorburn, again, is a guy who's well-liked. He's a veteran. He's well-respected. And those are the guys who get the cup. And just like the way Jay Bomeister did, guys tip their hats. And it's not necessarily who has the most points in the playoffs. Ryan O'Reilly didn't get the cup. I saw it was quite a few passes before he finally got it. And he was the Conn Smythe winner. They don't go by your contribution on the ice necessarily. They don't go by, it often goes by time served, uh, how old you are, if you've won it before, how well respected you are in the dressing room. There's a lot of factors that go into it that the casual fan always surprises me when I watch. I like kind of watching to see who gets it in what order. Yeah, I totally agree. Definitely interesting to watch. One thing I did want to mention is that it's interesting. A lot of people were giving the Bruins the edge, especially in Game 7, because they had, quote-unquote, experience. They were a veteran team. They've been there before. You, you hear all those cliches, a lot of people picking Boston because of that. And I just find it funny how as soon as the pucks actually dropped on the ice, essentially all that goes out the window. And, and I know if Boston had won the game, everybody would have been pointing to that experience, that veteran leadership and all that. But because they lost, everybody just kind of says, well, didn't happen this time. It, it makes me wonder how much does that actually matter um, when it's all said and done in a playoff series? Does it matter if you've been there before? Does it matter if you're a rookie, a veteran? Does it matter if you've played in Game 7s? I seem to think not just the way the trends were going this season. Uh, it's just interesting to see all those rookie teams just making um, making waves in the playoffs. Yeah, it's because in years past, we have seen teams that have done it before get back there again and then finally finish it off. We've seen that in years past, teams that get close and then eventually they get it done, whether it's the next year or a couple of years later. Uh, but sometimes we do see teams that just go on a one-year run and win it all. And again, some years they do have veterans, some years they don't. I think I saw the stat, this is, what was it, just four teams, and I forget how many years, had no previous cup winners on the roster. It was kind of actually surprising, and so some people people use the stat to say, well, you don't need cup experience in order to win a Stanley Cup, and you don't. But the other side of the thing could be shown that it's so rare to win a cup with no cup experience that it's an anomaly when it actually does happen. So, and I don't think we really want to get into this in too great of length on this episode of the podcast. That's not really what it's all about. I'm happy the Blues won. You're sad that the Blues won. Either way, 
it happened. Now let's uh, move on. The Winnipeg Jets, they're already long moving on, thinking about the offseason. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about the Cup Final? Or just no, the playoffs mean, was, in general? Decent, de- decent hockey to watch. Um, I, I think the thing this year, especially in the finals, is it was pretty much down to goaltending. And you could maybe argue that about any series is down to the goaltending. But this year especially, it was Bennington versus Rask, kind of back and forth, game to game. And, I mean, Bennington won out. I, I'm of the opinion that a lot of goaltending, especially in a short game series, is luck. Bennington maybe had it on his side, um, but that always plays a huge factor when the playoffs come around. But Bennington's really had it since January, and Rask pretty had it pretty much the entire playoffs. So it's not just luck, but it's definitely hot versus cold. Oh, yeah, exactly. So I think individual games, I, because goals are so rare in hockey, one little bounce goes in one game or it doesn't the next game. And we saw this with Patrick Laine through the year, right? He just couldn't catch a break. Other guys are, Brendan Lemieux was scoring goals off people's skates, banking them in off of who knows what. Laine just couldn't catch a break. And that happens a lot of times. And when you're isolating specifically four or five or six games um, out of a series, one or two of those swings can be huge in favor of one team or the other. Well, yeah, and it's really hard to predict whether a player's good in Game 7s because they're so rare. Or a player is good in the playoffs if he's only played like a couple series. It's hard to really determine whether or not a player is good at a certain type of year unless you have a substantial sample size to really determine. And that's why if people are saying Nick Ehlers, he's not good in the playoffs how big a sample size does it need to be before you determine that one way or the other? And that's really what a lot of stats boil down to. How big of sample size determines whether or not it's repeatable? And we can argue and discuss that till we're blue in the face. But let's now take a look uh, at our next topic, the offseason for the Winnipeg Jets. All right, so segment number two kind of is the whole theme for today's podcast. And this could go long, and it might just be one long run-on segment but the off-season overview for the Winnipeg Jets, they've got a lot of pieces moving, a lot of things going on. What's going to happen this summer? I guess it's kind of two questions. What do you think's going to happen and what do you want to happen? Kyle, if you're the Winnipeg Jets, where do you start? Well, I think it all starts, and maybe this has been said before, but the most opportune place to start is with Jacob Truba. And the reason why you need to start there is because you need to make up your mind if you're going to be going to arbitration and doing one more season or if you're going to be trying to move them specifically before the draft because that's coming we're going to mention talk about the draft next week a little bit that's coming in only a week and a half away so Jacob Truba needs it's to be It's actually a week solved. and one day. He needs to be solved as soon as possible because if he is staying if he can sign a a multi-year deal which we all don't think is going to happen that drastically changes the landscape um, of the Winnipeg Jets roster. If Truba's gone, then the Jets need to solve their right-hand defenseman problem. Maybe Myers gets re-signed. If Truba signs or they decide to keep Truba, now Myers is expensive, expensive, and now there's all these ripple effects throughout the organization. So I think it, it absolutely has to start with a decision on Truba, maybe not a trade right away, but a decision of what's going to be done with Truba before next season. I'm 100% on board with you, and I think the biggest, worst-kept secret, if that makes sense, is that Jacob Truba wants out. And there's a lot of, he'll always say the right things a lot of time in front of the media, 
But everything based on what we've heard, rumors, based on the fact that he hasn't signed a long-term deal, the fact that the Jets haven't traded him yet, but he had to go to arbitration last year, everything points to the fact that he wants out of Winnipeg, that it's not just about money. He's gotten, at first it was, he wants to be on the right side, he wants to play big minutes. Well, he's gotten basically everything he's wanted up front. He's now playing with Josh Morrissey. He had a great season. He got points. He got power play time. He's played first minutes. There's literally nothing else you could give Jacob Truba ice-wise, in my opinion, that would convince him to stay. Like, there's really, I don't think, much left for him as far as that is concerned. And maybe there's always more money to be made, but I feel just based on everything, reading between the lines, that he wants out. And I agree He's the first piece because what you get for him determines your next steps. And so let's kind of go through some of those scenarios because we both say Jacob Truba's first. And he's probably not sticking around. So you're going to trade him for something. So if you trade him for a defenseman of lesser value that comes on a cheaper, maybe more controllable contract. Shane Gostisbehere's name has been thrown around. I like that idea. Getting a player like Gostisbehere, maybe another little piece to get it done. And then you get a player for a longer term who's already under contract for, I think, under $5 million. And then you can kind of work around that. And then you can kind of go to, in my opinion, the next step would be go to Line A and Connor's contracts and start negotiating those bigger ones. I always say, fit the bigger pieces in first, and then you put the smaller stuff in later. Just like when you're packing to go on vacation or you're packing a suitcase, you put the big items in first, and then you fill in all the little stuff around. Like that analogy? Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. And with Jacob Truba, especially the trade, uh, we're not going to get into tons of details about the trade um, or potential trade if it's going to happen. Um, but Gosses Fair is a guy, like you mentioned, uh, Rasmus Ristolainen out of Buffalo has been thrown around a bunch as well. Um, there, there's two schools of thought um, as far as the Jacob Truba trade is concerned. Um, the, the first option, which would be, I think, ideal, is you get essentially a Jacob Truba clone. You, you get a replacement. That's a Gostas Bear, Aristolainen, a guy who can play first or second pairing minutes, a guy who can eat up time on the penalty kill, power play, a, a kind of a, a young defenseman who can who can do everything Truba does. And that might be tough to find. The other school of thought, because you don't really need another forward, I don't think that's an option. So you want a, you want a Jacob Truba clone or you're going to be turning it into assets such as picks. The Winnipeg Jets don't have a first-round pick in this year's draft. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets prospect pool is a little bit thin once you get past um, Niku and uh, Veseline and some of those other guys. There's really nobody else kind of close. So could the Winnipeg Jets turn Truba into a first-round pick and a pretty good prospect? That's kind of the other school of thought. And if that's the case, then you have to go out in free agency and solve your defensive problems. And that's why, because of this ripple effect, that's why this needs to get done, or at least you need to know what you're doing with them as soon as possible. Now, I've always been of the philosophy when it comes to a fantasy trade or whether it comes to a hockey trade or just trading professional sports, you don't want to trade a loony for four quarters, if you know what I'm saying. You don't want a one valuable piece and split up into four different assets. But I'm starting to think on this trade, I might be willing to do that. And not necessarily for four quarters, but even like a 50 cent, two 50 cent pieces, if that makes sense. Because for the Winnipeg Jets right now, they have the high end and they have the very expensive guys 
Do they need another very expensive guy on the blue line if they already have Bufflin, they already have Morrissey's who's going to come in and probably on a high contract next year? Do they need another high-priced guy like a Ristolainen? And I know Gostisbehere has a decent contract and I actually like his contract, but you don't really want a P.K. Subban on the right side if you're going to be trading Jacob Truba. Do you, or what do you think about that? No, I would agree with you. Um, but in the sense, I, I still agree. Generally, whoever gets the best player in the trade usually ends up winning the trade. That, that's generally how things work. And that's exactly like you mentioned. So I'm, I'm hesitant to, to give up Truba and only get back to mediocre pieces. Um, but that's why that's why it's tough, right? Because you're not going to find a trade to to get a one for one. Those are extremely rare. If you can find a one for one deal, Truba for name your person who's comparable and, and make the deal one for one. But the problem is the other team. Why would they want to do that if they're trading a, a same player as Truba? Why would they? do that deal for for a similarly similar player and, and that's where you start to get these issues so i think you might be the only option is to do what like you said maybe you get two pieces or a piece that isn't quite as good instead of a first pairing defenseman you get a, a borderline a, a second pairing defenseman and a prospect or, or who knows but i think that's why that might be the issue you run into when trying to deal Truba. Well, and I've heard some people say that you should trade Truba for a second-line center like a Kadri, which Sean Avery rumored however long ago, and we all know that there is probably not a lot to that. But let's say you do. You trade a guy like Truba for Kadri, and then you trade a player like Ehlers or a guy like Connor for a defenseman like Truba. And so, in a sense, then you get as much value as you can for Truba, and it comes back in the center of a forward, and then you trade a forward for a defenseman. It's just a different one, not Jacob Truba. And so, I see some merit to that, but I personally think... And so, maybe this is just clouding my judgment because of what I've seen with St. Louis and Boston and the teams making the cup final this year. I heard a stat that the teams in the final four didn't have a player making over $8 million on their roster. Is this an anomaly or do you think this is a trend that we're seeing more players kind of in that 5 to 7 million dollar range and having a bunch of them and having a really strong deep team or are we still going to see the model of having a few high end guys like the Crosby Malkin that high end front loaded team or do you think the trend's going to be shifting or is this just a one off year? I think it might just be a one off year. I mean because you think of all the, the good teams in the league and they have those superstars. And, and I mean, if you're trying to tell me that the, the best teams in the NHL are never going to win the Stanley Cup, possible, likely. Uh, as far as I am aware, the Stanley Cup is the least predictable trophy in all of sports because because of that variability every year. But to tell me that that Toronto, with all their superstars making lots of money, they're never going to win the Cup. Winnipeg, with Wheeler making however much, and Bufflin, they're not going to win the Cup. You can't tell me those things and make me believe it because that just it just seems so preposterous that that could happen. Well, what and I'm that's saying why is... I don't think it will because if you go down the best teams in the NHL, if you name the top five teams, pretty much all of them have somebody making a lot of money. Yeah, but those teams didn't win the Cup, though, this year. And so you're right. Maybe this is just a one-off. But what I'm saying is that the more and more teams that we see load up these very high, very expensive contracts, 
are they going to be able to have the depth to be able to go on a playoff run? Because hockey is a, a most is more of a team sport than I would argue almost any other. Well, football and uh, football would be very very similar, and baseball maybe to a degree, but basketball is a completely star driven sport. Hockey is completely team based because the actual star is only out on the ice for. 30% of the time, especially when it comes to forwards. A high-end forward is only on the ice for a third of the game. That means two-thirds of your game, if you don't have depth pieces, two-thirds of your game, you're playing with below-average depth. And so that's just one of my thoughts when you're looking at high-end guys. Yes, they can have a big impact, but you're they're only playing as such a small part of the game. Uh, yeah, and, and that's where, depending on what you're getting into here, you, you got it's the risk-reward type of thing, or how much better are my high-end guys than the other team's high-end guys versus how much worse are my lower-end guys, and you kind of have to work that out in the middle, and that's where it gets tricky, right? So if you think my high-end guys are 10% better than the other team's top line, but my depth is 10% worse, well, then what's that trade-off? It, it should be fairly equal, right? And that's where you kind of have to decide. I don't think Winnipeg's, speaking strictly about the Jets here, I don't think the Winnipeg's bottom six is that much worse than anybody else's. No, I think, yeah. I I would take the TLC line almost over any other third or fourth line in the NHL. I would take TLC, yet the Jets didn't win. So I don't think it's just as simple as saying, build your depth, you will win, because obviously that's not the case. Well, it's kind of what we saw with Vegas. When they went to the cup final, they had no superstar, but they had buy-in and tons of those mid-range players. They basically had four lines of middle-tier players. They went to the cup final. This year, they loaded up, they got a few more high-paid guys, and it didn't pan out. But again, I don't know if we're getting off topic, but it was kind of just to my point for the offseason for the Jets, getting two valuable pieces for Truba that maybe cost a little bit less, not necessarily a bad thing. And that was also my thought, and we had this discussion. We're not going to get into it too long right now, but Patrick Line, if he's making $10 million, would you rather have two $5 million players or one $10 million and one $1 million player, right? That's kind of just my thought. Yeah, I agree. It's just so, it's so tough because if you have one guy scoring 50 goals, I mean – you can say, well, you can have two guys making $5 million and each score 30 Well, that's 10 more goals, right? Yeah. I understand that, but then that's one extra spot taking up on the roster. Well, no, so, but I'm saying if you take Patrick Laine and Brandon Tanev, who's making, let's say, $1 million this year, you take out their goal production total, and then you add two players coming in at $5.5 million each, Right, which are you going to get more production out of the two, five and a half, or the guy who's making ten and the guy who's making one? I mean, that's pretty close. If you look at the numbers, you say Liney. Let's say Liney scores forty, Tanev scores ten to fifteen. You have fifty-five goals for your money. Two, five and a half to six million guys each are thirty goal scorers. You end up pretty much the same, right? Exactly. So then, which would you rather have in your lineup? It's easier to shut down one guy who's scoring 50 than it is two guys who are scoring 30 in the playoffs. Possible. And and that was just that's just a philosophy thing that teams need to decide when it comes to paying for contracts when it and again I'm not sure if I'm fully all in but I'm just throwing out this philosophy and this 
idea here on the podcast as we think about how we want to spend the Jets' money in the offseason. And so now, after we look at Jacob Truba and his deal and his contract or and what we want to do with him, then we move to Line A and Connor. Do you briefly want to get into what you're hoping to sign those guys for? Yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Because I, I wrote a little bit about Line A very recently, uh, looking at the, the pilot's logbook for the year, just a season overview uh, in general, and just kind of the weird season he had. And I mean, we all know the stories very well. Um, his one really good month and the rest of the year, just really not good at all. Um, people are throwing out the $10 million mark um, for Line A. Some people are throwing out the $8 million mark or $9 million mark. I mean, I think it's going to be between that probably around that 9 million range. I think the real interesting part is going to be the term, uh, specifically looking at Matthew signing only a five-year deal. What's Line going to do? Is he only going to want five years so he can reach free agency sooner? Or is he going to sign a, a max deal at seven, um, seven years, eight years, that sort of thing? Well, Murata Atesh, did you read the article that he recently posted kind of about some options for Truba and that kind of stuff? He projected some cap hits. Did you see that? Yeah. So what he projected for Kyle Connor was a long-term deal at $8 million and for Line A, a long-term deal at 8.6. And so that's what he came up with. He used his own numbers for Line A and Connor based on a deep dive into forward second contracts and a lot of different things. Your thoughts on those two numbers? And I think that's just kind of where, let's just go based on those numbers and then kind of go from there. If you were Kevin Sheveldayoff, what would you try and hope for, for the, with those two guys? Well, it's tough. I think that's a bit steep for Kyle Connor, and the reason why is Kyle Connor played almost exclusively with Shifley and Wheeler. And if you do an entire season of Line A with Shifley and Wheeler, is he going to be scoring more than Kyle Connor? Quite a bit more, I would say. Well, probably. And I think the problem with both of those guys is they're both very one-dimensional. Line A has his shot. Connor gets to the right area, and he just puts the puck in the net. Right. And he also so has a good shot. Of those guys really drive a line. Neither of them really do the heavy lifting. They're just kind of the passenger. And to now have two passengers on your lineup sucking almost $17 million, that's an awful lot to pay for two guys that aren't really moving the needle as far as driving the line is concerned. Well, that's a very good point. And so do you then go back to what our previous conversation of trading Truba for a different forward who can maybe drive a line and create and then trading either Connor or probably not line a for a higher end defenseman to replace Truba who, who wants out personality wise. And that's something to maybe look at. So then I think for a lot of people, they would rather trade Connor because he has been given that great opportunity and yes, he's done well with it, but he's potentially a guy who you could trade out. And I think there'd be less regret than trading line A. Yeah, I agree. And when you start thinking, comparing Connor to Ehlers, fairly similar type of players, more of the, a speedy type uh, of winger, getting to the right spots and areas and that sort of thing. Ehlers on a, a very team-friendly deal, if you consider that his comparables are getting $8 million, Ehlers $2 million less than that. So all of a sudden, why would you want to have Connor at 8 when you can have an Ehlers who is probably a better play driver as well for way less money. And that's where you, you get into if you're comparing it to within your own, your own organization, well, then neither of those guys are even close to that much money. They shouldn't get paid that. But that's where it gets interesting when the cap's going up. You get a few guys on team-friendly deals, a few guys wanting way more because that's what their 
NHL comparables are saying, and that's where you get kind of that disconnect between the organization and the player. And so now after uh, Line A and Connor, then you there the, becomes the whole question of what do you do with the other free agents? What do you do with Tanev? What do you do with Andrew Kopp? He's going to need a deal. He's an RFA. What do you do with Beaulieu, Moro, uh, Sherratt, Myers? There's all these players who need deals. It's nice we finally have clarification when it comes to um, goaltender Laurent Brossois. He's finally got a deal, so he's taking care of one less guy to kind of stroke off the list. But do you buy out Kulikov? Do you try trading guys like Little and Perot to give yourself a little bit of cap relief if they're in at the five and the just over $4 million cap hit for Little? That's five more seasons, two more seasons of Perot at just over $5 million. What do you do with these players? And so now... Let's quickly look at those, just those other ones, and then let's go point form over what we want to see for the rest of the season. Kyle, quickly, what do you do here over these next few guys to sign, get rid of? Yeah, I think Myers is gone. I think that's not even a question. He's going to command way more than the Jets are willing to give him. Um, unfortunately, I think that's the same for Brandon Tanev. If you could keep Tanev cheap, I say do it. If the market's driving him up, you just have to essentially say, no, we, what, we can't pay that. What's your cutoff else. point? For two million? Tanev, two million? Million probably, and a half? Probably two, two round two because he's he's a bottom six player oh i should agree anybody in the bottom should any bottom six winger get more than two million dollars probably not and that's why perot making four who's primarily a bottom six especially with everybody who we've got wheeler shifley ehlers little connor rosovic's pushing up i really don't want perot making more than that okay but carry on anything else so buyouts? i think little and Little and Perot, you kind of just have to leave because it's going to be tough to find a, a trade for that. And if you are trading away salary, you're giving up an asset in addition. Remember trading Mason plus Armia? How good would have Armia looked in the bottom six this year? He had a great season in Montreal. So just keep that in mind when you're trying to deal away salary. Um, as far as some of those other guys, you, you need to re-sign Cop. I think you, you got to get some of the depth defense, so maybe sign Morrow. He can do another season where he plays half the year coming in with injuries. Well, you probably about the same, depending on how many depth guys you want. Um, one of those guys will probably leave. One will probably stay, especially with Niku challenging for the lineup. So I think it's just kind of a mixed bag. Sherratt, keep some just of them. comment on Sherratt. Just let walk, and it's simple as that. Sherratt? Sherratt, I think you want to keep around. I mean, he, he's he's there. He's fairly consistent. And he's shown he can play in the NHL. Some people might argue that, but I think he's shown he's better than Morrow. He's probably better than Beaulieu. I would say he's probably the best option being on that second, third pairing right now. So if it was to start, uh, I would basically say Morrissey, Bufflin. Then you're looking at Niku and Poolman and Sherratt and Morrow on the third pair. Basically, I don't think Kulikov's going to sit. Oh yeah, sorry, Kulikov. So Morrissey, Bufflin, Kulikov, and Pullman, Niku, and Sherat, or some combination thereof. Yeah, probably something. Like Joe that. Morrow coming in off the bench. All right, so now let's quickly wrap this up. And I know this has been one really long uh, segment looking at the off-season overview for the Winnipeg Jets. Let's just quickly run down from the top what you want to happen. With the Winnipeg Jets, whether it's signing, trading, adjusting, what you want to happen this offseason. Okay, just take it from the top quickly, what you want. 
absolutely what I want. You trade Jacob Truba, free up the salary. Don't sign Tyler Myers, free up the salary. You sign Eric Carlson, your life first. Wow. Okay. And up front? Uh, up front, you just sign everybody as cheap as possible. You let Tanev walk to save money, sign Cop cheaply. And then I would say you try to bridge Connor to save a little bit. Uh, and then look to trade them to free up the salary, and then you sign line eight to pretty much whatever nine-ish million. All right, so there you go. That pretty much summed up everything really quickly. Uh, do you do you like buying out Kulikov or no? It's one season no, I, at four point three right the opinion, now. I absolutely hate buyouts. I don't remember ever seeing a buyout and thinking that was a great move by the organization because it just lingers, right? Like buying out Mark Stewart, it just lingers. Oh, we're done with Mark Stewart. No, we're not. He's still on the books. And that happened for so many years. I just don't want to see that again for Kulikov. I mean, I know it would only be, I think, two years for Kulikov because he only has one year left, but it just seems like a waste. Well, you get most of the cap hit, so it would be over... Two million, I think it was like two and a half or something like that million you'd get in cap savings for this year. And then his cap, it would only go down to like 1.4 for this year and next year. And so that saves you quite a bit of money in the here and now. Uh, that's basically a depth player or uh, that could be enough to top up some of your forwards. I don't mind buying out Dmitry Kulikov because it's just one year left and it would save you a few million. It's not like Stewart's contract where it's only saving you like a hundred thousand. Like it's saving you a couple million, which is could be fairly substantial this season for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, for me, I was again on board for tra- trading Jacob Truba. I really like the trading him for Gostas Bear idea and a Gostas Bear who's got a little bit of contract uh, term. And so I would say Truba for Gosses Bear and then another piece back for the Jets. Don't sign a Tyler Myers. Sign Sherratt. Keep those guys around as cheaply as you can. Buy out Kulikov. And then up front, sign Line A to a longer-term deal. I don't mind the bridge deal with Kyle Connor, like you said. Keep Tanev if you can. If he has to go because of other teams paying him the money, that's fine. And then, of course, keep Andrew Kopp. I'm a big Andrew Kopp fan. Keep him under a reasonable amount of money. And so that's what I would do if I was Winnipeg Jets heading into this offseason. And, of course, we'll have to wait and see. A lot of these questions will be answered here in just a couple of weeks. And we might even have some of these answers by the time we podcast next week. Is there anything else you wanted to mention, Kyle? No, I mean, with the draft only a week and a half away, we're going to be doing a draft preview next week. And then free agency only a week after that, we're going to be doing a little bit free agent special as well coming up in a couple of weeks. So we're definitely going to have some more podcasts in the next few weeks. So make sure to stay tuned. And I think I'm sure we're going to be rehashing and going over and over and over again a lot of these topics we just covered. If you want us to talk about anything on the Jets Nation podcast, whether it's a trade option, whether it's a value for a contract, dollar amount, whatever, hit us up on Twitter. We are at Jets and Podcast. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at jetsnation.ca.